up to yonder Beyond the lights, neon uh, Fluorescent, my essence is something to ponder uh, Your talent ain't something to squander uh, Blessed and favored so high Me, anointed and pointed I might be This is that all that podcast featuring Kyrie Welcome back to another episode of the All That Podcast Today I have someone joining us from Toronto, Canada. <laughs> first time we had mm-hmm. somebody from uh, Toronto on the show. So that's the first. Um, so I have Mr. Amanda Chin on the show. She is an entrepreneur. She is a college professor. She hosts her own podcast. Um, she is an author. And yeah, I'm pretty sure she's a lot of other things that I didn't even mention. Um, but without further ado, how are you, Miss Amanda? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. And yeah, you know, give it up for Toronto. <laughs> yeah, shout out. Six God. <laughs> so, all right, you have a lot that you do. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, but I think when we first spoke over the phone, you were, the conversation was centered around a project you did called 100 Masked, Masked Men. Mm-hmm. And which I thought was interesting and like so different uh, where you. So for the people at home, she interviewed 100 men anonymously, right? Yeah. 100 men, 100 hours. (laughs) And you were asking (laughs) questions about relationships, I guess, gender roles, um, sex, you know, all these things. So I guess my question to you would be what made you want to do this project in the first place? I think during the pandemic, it was a moment of reflection for everyone, Mm -hmm. especially if you were living in a single household and you were wondering, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And what matters to me the most? And I, I took a step back and realized that all of my relationships with men weren't very positive examples. And then I wondered if, all of the other experiences or examples of bad relationships with men were a projection of mine as well, where I didn't allow the existence of positive relationships with men because obviously they exist. I have friends that have had great relationships with men. I either just didn't allow any space to hear that out, or there was something about me that just didn't want to see that Mm. in reality. So I thought, well, if the world is going to end, at <laughs> least to improve my relationships with men, that needs right. to at least um, be better so that, you know, if we come out of this this pandemic and things do change, hopefully I'll have a better outlook on my relationships with this other half of, of the human race. Did, um, do you think that, did it start with maybe um, father, your father or something early in life? Did you pinpoint where, you know, the issue started? Hmm. I think I was in nonstop situationships, casual kind of Mm. unhealthy relationships. Um, Right before the pandemic, I was also working behind the bar. So it just wasn't a very positive environment to be in as a woman, all of the sexism. And it didn't change. It didn't help fix that outlook that I already had a very negative view on men. So I think I tried to open up to men a little bit more, but here it was still forcing a perceived expectation of what men are supposed to be like in my life. So I think it was more um, just 
modern dating and the world that we live in and can we actually find true connection um my dad on the other hand he started to get a lot more paranoid during the pandemic just thinking that everyone's watching him and Mm -hmm. that you guys have to be careful about the neighbors saying things about you all this kind of nonsense (laughs) um and there was this moment where i just looked at him like a disgusting person you know and and i thought I, I also have to see myself as this disgusting person because at some point in time, I was equally this narrow-minded about my assumptions about people, specifically just men in a generalized sense. And I would speak about all men as if they were just one being based on my personal experience and realized how unfair that was. So it was more just like a check for myself to realize I'm the problem at this point. You know, I need to change my viewpoint to ultimately change my life. So I'm just not holding on to this negativity anymore. Wow. That is a lesson for everyone listening because most people do the opposite, right? You <laughs> see uh, women all on all the time on social media and a lot of it is warranted, you know, I'm um, talking about men or talking down on men, but instead of um, you choosing to sustain that place of hating men, you took the initiative to like, okay, I'm going to dive all the way in and I'm going to be open with men. I don't even know. And, you know, and I'm going to put myself in a position to get to know them better. And, you know, and you spoke about checking yourself and having that self-awareness, which I think everybody, male or female, um, could learn from you. So that was very, you know, kudos to you for that. So how do you even get in touch with 100 men? Let's talk about that. (laughs) Like, what was the process of getting people to to do um, the interviews? So at the beginning, I think the first 10 were just guys I already knew. Mm -hmm. And coming from a very, uh, I guess, a very strong feminist point of view, a lot of my male friends already knew what kind of conversations I would have with them. So they were prepared and totally normal with with that. It was when I had to get out of my my network of my 10 people that I know. Right. And I started asking for people to recommend other people. So I began finding men in the mental health space that were willing to speak vulnerably. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got to men that were speaking more politically. I realized even though that they were wearing a mask, there was still some desire for them to impress me somehow, or at least get me to favor them or approve of them or whatever they were speaking about. And also there was this like safety of, oh, we can't say certain things about how we really feel in front of a feminist in mm-hmm. case we're going to get canceled or, right. or any of this kind of weird <laughs> fear. Yeah. So I ended up, getting a lot more people through clubhouse which were more just vocal about points of view and then I think around season two I was like I just want to find people that are an example of what men are fearful of so a lot of it is men that got canceled so I thought okay maybe let me find men that got canceled Mm. you know let me find men that did get um arrested for sexual harassment you know what happened to them and can they share their stories and that was when things really got interesting and I got a lot more men um, wanting to be on the show to share these stories because they had a chance. They didn't have to reveal themselves. They had this opportunity to tell their version of the story. And I think this is when it really flipped because I had a lot of women that were like, well, do you believe him? And I said, does it matter? <laughs> it's just the perspective at this time. Right. right. And I think that really changed how I moved forward with podcasting because it wasn't about my opinion on this person. It was really finally about just having an open conversation, having someone reveal their version of it, true or not, 
it's how they felt and there's some validity to it and you take what you want out of that story. Right. Wow. So I'm going to go off a little bit and talk about council culture. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I think what you did and you was like, you know, people asking you, did you believe them or whatever? He's like, it doesn't matter. Like they have a chance to tell their side of the story because it's always three sides of the story, your side, mm-hmm. the other person's side and the truth. So we as human beings are so complex, you know, and I always say like, just speaking biblically, right? The people, cause that's what most people in America practice Christianity. So, you know. And that's what I practice. So I'm going to just go off of that. So mm-hmm. if I always say that if people, if the disciples, the 12 people, plus Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute, um, if they lived in modern times, <laughs> they would have not been able to accomplish what they accomplished because they would have been canceled. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament was a murderer. He murdered people before he became a disciple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary Magdalene, like I said, she was a prostitute. You know what I mean? All these people, Matthew was a tax collector. You know, that was look, looked at bad. All these people Jesus surrounded himself with were what society would call outcast or they would counsel them. Right. Mm -hmm. So how are you practicing this religion and everything you believe is based off of former murderers or former, you know, people you would counsel in today's time? You know what I mean? So to me, counsel culture, like people are so complex and, you know, (laughs) it's like, how can you counsel somebody like uh, Malcolm X when he was, quote unquote, Detroit Red? Right. When he was a, a thug, he was, you know, in the streets going in and out of jail. If he was not allowed to become Malcolm X, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So where's the, I think in society we're missing, uh, I think the word for it is grace. You know what yeah. I mean? Because everybody has done something that they don't want on the headline of a newspaper. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I just have a problem with council culture. I believe in accountability culture, yes. but I don't believe in council culture. You know. I agree. And I think yeah. because of that, council culture exists a lot of people are afraid to be accountable and own up for their actions because they're afraid of the extreme version of that punishment if there is even going to be one and then they see these other people that might have just got an extreme punishment because they're famous or they're just in the limelight for whatever reason that shouldn't be the indicator of whether or not you should tell your truth right facts did you get any pushback from feminist community for doing this project it wasn't so much pushback but just like looking at me sideways Mm. like why are you giving them space you spent all of this energy on the years before pointing fingers at them telling them that they were the problem and i'm still saying that there's problems Mm. to be made but the approach to it wasn't helping like it's not me pointing fingers at you it's your fault it's whose fault because how does that fix it if, if you're deliberately telling someone that it's their fault for something, what's the likelihood for them to want to improve and fix that? Right. Just going to be defensive. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So obviously it resulted in defense. Um, and then, you know, cancel culture came in. So they're like, oh, great. We can't be defensive. So we're just going to be quiet. Right? right. And then you just had this group of quiet men 
saying that they're supporting women, but then women are like, where's, where's the, you know, action to this? How do I, where's the proof? I want you to show it. And like, there was, it was more this fear of cancel. And I think that's what really alerted me. I was like, well, how am I going to get allies if I'm not even making the environment a safe place for them to show up? Mm -hmm. So ultimately I'm, I'm shooting myself in the foot because I'm not even giving them a chance to show up in the way that they want to show up. by like saying, oh, you got to do it like this, which is, i.e. you got to be a woman to right. show up, which is like, okay, well, what do I do if I'm a man? Right. Why did you name it? Right. Because you could have named it a hundred men, but mm -hmm. it was del a deliberate choice to say a hundred masked men. So why did you name it a hundred masked men? At that time, it was early in the pandemic where people were questioning. Oh, like literally wearing masks. <laughs> literally questioning whether or not they should wear a mask. Yeah. It's like, is this good for me or is this good for society? Mm. And it's really funny about the rationale to why you would wear a mask. It's like, oh, I'm wearing a mask to protect myself. or I'm wearing a mask to protect others. Or I'm wearing a mask because there's a sign that says I have to. Mm. And it made me realize how many times are we doing something because we think the other person would judge us favorably or infavorably based on that decision how many masks are we actually wearing in our society uh, and this one is a physical mask that we're wearing and there's so much uproar about it so i think that was the the spring off for, for the idea of the masked men what and also you, that they're anonymous <laughs> right what did you learn about yourself from this project learning about my, I didn't know how to listen. Mm. So at the very beginning, I was waiting for the opportunity to catch them at the wrong word and yell at them. It was just, I just wanted, um, I just wanted, I don't know, redemption for all of the moments that I couldn't speak up. Mm -hmm. And here I am just attacking these totally innocent people that didn't know that they were going to be coming on my show to get yelled at. So <laughs> that was the <laughs> beginning of it to then realize, okay, now I got to sit and be quiet. And then I, I lost control of the show. I was just super quiet and the conversation just ended up like a monologue of these, these guys uh, to finally find the balance there and learn how to have a conversation, which is like half active listening and half, you know, challenging questions and also sharing your own vulnerability. I think that was the beginning of me sharing it because if I'm not vulnerable, how can I expect the other to respond? Because you lead by example in anything that you do. Mm -hmm. And when I realized I was here waiting for them to just like pour their whole heart out, like, why would they do that if they don't know anything about me? So actually, I ended up having a lot of conversations before the interview where we'd have moments to just share our stories. So then once we get on, we feel a little bit more comfortable and we're able to share more deeply. Right. So you went into this project um, with a certain perspective of men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how did your perspective change coming out of the project? What's, what are some things that you were like, I had that messed up. I looked at that wrong, you know? So what was that like? So I was so focused on what women perceived as empowering and what transparent communication is and what consent is supposed to look like mm -hmm. when you just dump everything on the table and you give people the opportunity to say yes or no and what that looks like. It wasn't that black and white towards the end of it. Um, coming from the the male side of it of like, oh, well, I don't want her to think I'm like this or I don't want people around me to think like this. I started to realize that it, there's more of 
a desire for approval with other men than actually the woman that this man is probably trying to talk to, which mm. I thought was really interesting. And then I learned that the concept of what it is to be feminine was always a form of weakness. Like if you do anything girly or feminine, you're, you'll get attacked for that regardless. In whatever peer group that is, it could be fathers, peers, brothers, whoever. And the biggest uh, learning was realizing that masculinity was so fragile because you can be emasculated, but a, f- a female cannot be effeminated. <laughs> you can't take <laughs> that away yeah. from her. So I think that also shows that the definition of a man comes out of the opposite definition of a woman. So it strengthens what a woman looks like um, and dilutes what a man looks like because he can only work within the opposite. That's interesting. So when I did my project um, called the man series hasn't came out yet, but you know, the question that opens it up is what is a man? Mm -hmm. And you know, people had different answers. My answer was, Men, we are so fluid that I can't really pinpoint a definition for what it is, for what it looks like. I mean, it's up to the person, you know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. we all have complexities. And I think at our um, root, men and women, we are artists. You know what I mean? A lot of us are artists. We have this art. We want to express ourselves, you know, artistically. And but what happens is. Uh, these definitions, right, that society puts on how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to do, boom, 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 we are constrained. You know what I mean? So now we, we live in this box and we're frustrated, you know, internally because we want to express ourselves how we see fit. You know what I mean? And the story I told is, uh, you know, I'm a big Beyonce fan. <laughs> and I was at work one day. And I was singing, uh, me, myself, and I, I think, about Beyonce. And they had females and they had males there. And, you know, obviously the females were jamming out to it. I'm jamming out to it. And the guys are kind of, like, making little remarks. They're kind of chilling, you know, for the most part. But once they saw that the girls were feeling it, you know what I mean, and they were not looking at me a certain way because I was singing it, then all of a sudden they joined in. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. You listen to Beyonce, <laughs> like uh-huh. in your in your car or your bedroom yeah. or in the shower. You listen to her, but you would never show that in public because of what people might think. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's weird, but so yeah, I can't I can't come out. I couldn't come up with a definition for what a man is because it's it's fluid. Like I don't know. Do you think you have a definition of what a man is? <laughs> I, I don't, I know a lot of people told me provider, protector, um, kind of, yeah, those answers to normal roles, hero Mm -hmm. roles. Yeah. But yeah, I think unfortunately with that definition, it's, it's so such a big word and such a small word at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for you to connect yourself because you're like, oh, does a provider mean financial? Does that mean physical does that mean what you know and the fact that you're even attributing yourself to a role that you have to fulfill the only way you can fulfill that role is in a relationship with someone else so if you didn't have a relationship 
then how are you a provider? That's what are you providing point. for in the, in the, in the human world? So I think that's a big thing that I learned about, which is like the power of sex and relationships mm-hmm. and how that contributes to our self-worth and how much power we give that away for someone else to define our level of worthiness based on that performance. Mm-hmm. Great point. Great point. And I always say the definitions that traditionally have been attributed to men often kill men. Literally. Yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, now mental health is more accepting in, in you know, the culture uh, to where it's okay for a man to be vulnerable. Um, and it's still work for a lot of men, you know, to be vulnerable and all that. But before it's like, I'm going to turn to alcohol or I'm going to turn to women or I'm going to turn to drugs or, you know, because I can't express this because that'll make me seem weak, you know? Yeah. So I think a lot, of, like I said, a lot of the definitions literally have killed men. So in what relationships with the man in your life um, did you see change after you did the series? And how so did it change? It's very interesting because mm-hmm. when I first started this series, I told you I just came out of a situationship and mm-hmm. I learned that this person came in here, you know, obviously for a situationship and I wasn't a hundred percent. I was, I was really going through depression and anxiety at that time. So he saw the worst of me. And I think out of just a normal human instinct, he's like, Oh, I can't walk around on her now Mm. at this point in time, just to like add fuel to this, to this fire. So he stuck around. And then when I obviously got better, I celebrated him or I praised him for sticking around. And he was like, Oh man, now I really can't leave. You know? (laughs) So I felt like I, I stuck this person in a role he didn't want to be in, but I was, you know, too much in my own world to, to notice that. So that gave me a lot of compassion to understanding like why things happened the way it was, because here I was like, you know, this person stuck around this whole time. He went through all of these things. And a lot of us think, Oh, if they stuck around through these times, these hard times, then that means like they're they're They love you or they're truly committed, but that actually has nothing to do like time and the, the specific state of mind that you're in has nothing to do with the longevity or seriousness of your relationship. Right. So that was the first thing I learned um, after talking to a lot of other men. And then I began my journey hoping that at the end of the hundred series, you know, I'd find my, you know, Prince charming, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and that'd be it for me. Hopefully with these hundred connections, we'll get there. Right. And I feel like I manifested my ideal partner um, which is going to, you know, look a certain way, work in a specific space, whatever. And, and I got all of that, you know, he was like the, what every woman I guess would want, you mm-hmm. know, um, was also a freedom fighter activist, you know, was also whatever build that I preferred at that time and all these things. And then again, he had to, to follow through with this role that didn't fit who he was. And finally, I'm at a place where I I don't even, I don't see romantic relationships the same way as I used to anymore. Uh, I really prioritize platonic relationships and connecting with people first before thinking like, oh, what are we going to look like as mm-hmm. a combo? And I think that's what we think of. We're like, oh, who's the perfect compatibility to this and that? Right. And in society, we're going to look like the biggest power couple. Then what is really the point? of dating this person? Are you dating this person for like their car, their status, 
for both of your families to connect? Like, what is the reason behind it? Things that's not um, sustainable, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work out. So I think that's when I learned, like, it's not even about like what list is on, on what you think is attractive or what you believe at the end of the day. All of it had to do with the society that you're living in and who you're trying to impress. And you should never treat another human as a means to gaining whatever that credibility is. What did you learn about the differences in approach, mentality um, to sex between men and women? A lot of not wanting to be accountable for things. Mm. And a lot of like, well, this person said that, that person said this, and and so we come to this consensus or just a lot of lack of understanding and or desire to understand. Um, again, back to the cancel culture, some people were just like, I have to be super loud about it and announce to everyone that I cheated on my wife with with this other girl and and I need I need to punish myself so that in case someone punishes me instead. It was very strange. So yeah. it's kind of like the anti-bullying uh, scenario where it's like, I'll bully myself and make, self, make, make fun of myself first. And then no, no one can do it worse than me. Right. Super weird. Um, and another thing is if you, let's say, didn't, didn't um, condemn yourself automatically mm-hmm. and, and you, you want to make a change, but you're already now condemned, you know, people are calling you a whatever. And how are you ever going to get redeemed in society? Because if there is no redemption, what's the point in even trying to change? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of loss there of like, well, if you called me, you know, whatever, a, a cheater for life, what's the point in changing my ways if if you're always going to title me as that? Right. Well, so. I'm going to live up to what you said. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, there's nothing there, right? So right. I think that's the biggest thing. Society won't allow for us to be a new version of, of what we're trying to be and celebrate growth and change and healing. Right. So you also wrote um, in a book called Let's Pivot, mm-hmm. and you were chapter six, correct? Yes. So you wrote about how people pivoted from un, un, um, favorable circumstances, mm-hmm. right? So can you talk about that? Because in life, you never know um, what's going to come up. You just have to be ready to adapt. Um, and you also, with your move to Mexico, that was an adapt, mm-hmm. you know, you had to adapt there. And I'm sure other things in your life that I don't know about, but us as humans, period, we have to, you know, be ready to pivot and be ready to adapt. So can you talk about what you learned from speaking to people about, you know, um, how they pivoted, um, especially during pandemic, which was a pivot for everybody and, uh, other situations. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, in the beginning of the pandemic and pivoting, people were all out for themselves. It's like, okay, it's a level playing field now. Everyone has the ability to do anything, which Mm. is good and bad. Um, I think the internet really gave a lot of opportunity for anyone to to redeem themselves. Um, It's not about who you know and being on the ground and knowing specific people and having that status anymore it's just like oh if i can make a really cool product get it online get enough eyes on it then i'll be successful so that really changed the dynamic of businesses Mm -hmm. but i think what 
kept a business going is building a community, whether that's online or offline. It's about a space that matters to you. So again, it's kind of like the anti-cancel culture of like, how are we going to do this together? And who are we going to choose to support? And what's the point of me even doing this? I think once we started to get those answers, then pivoting doesn't feel so so intense because you have that support of that community helping you throughout the throughout the journey. Right. Well, Miss Amanda, <laughs> thank you for coming on, dropping some wisdom. Um, I love everything you're doing. Um, I wish you much success in everything because I'm pretty sure you'll be, you know, a full author, have a book, like a, you know, a book, you on book tour, you'll be doing more amazing projects. You know, I'm just speaking all that into you, putting it oh, out thank there. You. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time coming for this episode since like mm -hmm. you think you said we talked in March, our first conversation. Also, didn't Daniel hook us up? Was it Daniel? He did. Shout out yeah, to Daniel, man. Him. My boy I saw from him London. In City. Yeah. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Daniel uh, <laughs> for hooking us up. And uh, hopefully we can collaborate on something in the future. Um, yeah. Because I feel like we're our content is kind of, you know, on the same wave wavelength. So um yeah, thank you for coming on the show. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate All right. It. Uh, talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Go listen to 100 Max, man. Um, go read, let's pivot. Um, you want to give the people your socials and where they can find you and all that good stuff. Yeah. You can find me at missamandachen.com or on socials at missamandachen. Yeah. It's all, it's all there. <laughs> there it is. Peace out. Six God. And I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>